Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. Alexandra Patora is an immigrant entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of Rhea Cosmetics, an innovative, vegan, and cruelty-free beauty company that brings active skincare ingredients into makeup. She's a licensed esthetician, a makeup artist, influencer, and host of Backbone, Not Wishbone, a podcast focused on business and wellness. It is such a pleasure to welcome my dear friend, confidant, soul sister, and badass businesswoman, Alex, onto the show. Welcome. Hello. hello. What a terrible, what a terrible way of coming in. My, literally my phone just went off and I'm like, this is podcasting one-on-one. You think I would know this. That's why people like this radio show because we bring the realness. We bring the realness onto the show. How hello, are hello. you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so. Oh excited. my gosh! Of mm. course, it's funny. Uh, so Alexandra and I met actually on the D- in the DMs. We right. reached, I reached out to her during kind of the craziness of the pandemic, um, and Alex had actually purchased my jewelry at one of my retailers years ago. So yes. I had seen her name before we connected and initially that way. And then during the pandemic, we, you know, started to get to know each other and then became dear friends. And now we have a standing call every week to check in and go over our yes. goals. And so it is such a pleasure to celebrate you in this way, because you are one of my dearest friends. And now I get to share you with, with our listeners. Oh, I appreciate you and I love you. Yeah, no, we, that's how we discovered each other. Actually, it's I discovered your jewelry first and it was so good that I started posting about it on my social media. People were asking me, what necklace is that? What earrings are those? I'm wearing your jewelry today. So it's all it's all you're doing. This is all your fault. You did good I'm, stuff. <laughs> and same thing with my skincare. I will tell you the Vrea products have become uh, not just a daily practice. I use your concealer in the morning and my nightly ritual mm-hmm. includes your eye masks. It is just, it has allowed me to take my self-care regimen to the next level and just to give myself time to, you know, decompress, relax at the end of the day. I know that that is something that, you know, one-on-one is, is not the easiest thing for me Mm. to do (laughs) because I enjoy working a ton, but I just have to tell you how transformative your products have been, not just for how my skin looks during the day when I'm wearing makeup, but also with how I'm treating myself. I love that. And that is exactly what I was hoping to achieve. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So question for you that we asked all of our guests to kind of get an idea of the journey that has been your life. What was little Alex like? Um, Little Alex was um, very insecure. She was the only child of a single working mother She was born in communism in the 80s under Soviet communism. So that that affected her a little bit. (laughs) Um, She couldn't, she just was very socially awkward. Um, Just a strange, strange little girl, nerdy, um, loved, loved to be learning a lot of different things, very curious, very curious. But um, nothing like the Alex today. That's it's like not even the same person. At what point did you start to develop your confidence? Because I find you to be such a grounded, secure, confident, empowered woman. 
what was the journey like emotionally in becoming yourself? Because that's not the person that I know. (laughs) I think that that's not the person that anybody knows um, because I've been in America almost 19 years and that transformation process started back in Romania. Um, I think that it actually had a lot to do with um, how I grew up because when you kind of live in a totalitarian regime and you're told how much to eat, when to eat, when to come pick up your food, how many cars you can have, if any, when you're going to have gas, electricity, water, things like that. Um, You're so dependent on somebody else to essentially give you even your basic needs. Um, that once the revolution happened and and once I started realizing that I was a poor kid in school and everybody was poking fun of me, I, I just had this aha moment when where I, I didn't want to ever be real like, to have to rely on anybody. I never wanted to be the outcast. I never wanted to be the poor kid. I never wanted to be the shy person that has nobody to talk to or that invites her friends from school for her birthday party and nobody shows up. It was just one of those aha moments. And I think that it's those pivotal moments that either really snap you and you become bitter or you just become really depressed or you just go into that direction or you make this conscious decision that you want to work on yourself. You want to be better. You want to be have an autonomous life. You, you want to not to ever have to depend on anybody. And that was my moment. That was the path that I took. And, um, one of the things I tell people all the time, I, I had to teach myself how to be everything I am today. I, I do not know how to be an entrepreneur. I've, I've had to learn. I did not know how to edit my own videos on social media or um, how to be talented. I'm not talented by nature. I'm not creative by nature, but I truly believe that you can teach yourself even those um, even those things, like how to be creative, how to be talented. Will I ever be as talented and creative as somebody that's naturally talented and creative, i.e. you? No, but I'm not what I was. I'm not what I was given, the hand I was given. I actually made myself a better one. So that's kind of how that came about. And it was a lot of very intensive work on myself to gain that confidence. I mean, my dad was absent. So imagine a little girl with daddy issues with a mom that is working all the time. So she's never home. She doesn't have any siblings. I was essentially as isolated as you could be. So you can imagine how awkward I was. (laughs) So I mean, yes, my my former self was very awkward. So yes. (laughs) See, maybe that's why we get along so well, aside many other things, because we're naturally awkward. In hindsight, maybe we would have been friends as children. (laughs) You know what? what? I would hold your hand and I would hug you and you would- You know what I mean? (laughs) I think, I like to think that I was, because of how awkward I was, that I like to, you know, reach out to people who might not be as, because I was definitely well-liked, you know, Mm. growing up, but I wasn't popular. I wasn't, you know, there's a distinct difference. I I was well-known and well-liked, but I- I was definitely on the, on the awkward side <laughs> for sure. We so would when be you awkward kids together. I love it. Um, I love our pretend childhood friendship already. Um, what, when you say do the work, mm. what does that mean for you? And, and I know you said that this work started in Romania and you moved mm. to the States at 19. 
at what age do you think that you started quote doing the work and what did that work look like for you at such a young age? I would say the work really started when I was 12 years old. Um, I mentioned in passing earlier that I had asked all my classmates um, to come to my birthday party and it was just a little something in my house. I mean, we were pretty poor, but nobody showed up. So it wasn't that I was so sad and I was crying in my bedroom and instinctively just as, as very primal beings, the sense of anger is, you know, typically for many of us, the first emotion to come out. And that's what surfaced for me. I was just angry and I hated everyone, you know, air quotes, I hated everyone. And so I was really sad. And my mom said to me, well, you know, you can hate everyone or you can do something to where you can be that person that everybody enjoys and wants to be around. So that was just that was a trigger that that was that that snap moment. Um, just something so basic and probably even ludicrous to some, but that's what really spoke to me at the time. So the work, what's interesting, I mean, I was 12 years old. This is Romania. So I don't know, 12 years old. I was born in 1984. I don't know, math. Uh, <laughs> but uh, back then, there was no such thing as emotional development, self-help, <laughs> self-care, self -care. Yeah. none of it. I feel like for the most part, there was hardly any of that here in the States, let alone in a third world country like Romania was in the Eastern Bloc. It, you know, you would get bullied. That was called building, you know, building like character confidence or character. Yes, exactly. Building character, not yeah you know, Holy. Blue. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know. Times were very, very different. People were very, very hard. So there was nobody to guide me through this journey. All I knew it was that every single time I would learn something, um, it made me feel empowered. And that is when I started realizing, you know, they say that knowledge is power, but I've come to realize that knowledge is also very empowering. When you feel like you're, um, can I curse on your podcast? Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> when, it's a when, safe space. It's so I, funny because most uh, of the guests that I have on ask that question and I'm like, are we friends? Do you know me? I love a good curse word. When used correctly, there's nothing more attractive than a well put together woman properly using a curse word. A hundred percent. Curse away. Well, so one of the things that that really was was so powerful for me is when I realized that when I'm on top of my shit, I feel really good. If I learn a new skill or I develop in a certain area, I feel really good. So it's not just power. It's very empowering. So when I started as a little girl feeling that every single time I would learn something new, maybe something that wasn't in my curriculum at school, maybe that my classmates didn't know, but I set out to learn it for myself, I would feel more, I would, I would gain more power in my mind and feel more empowered. So I just got on this journey of just educating myself and trying to learn as many things as possible from various different verticals. I was curious, very curious by nature. So that was the first step. Um, the second step was I started working on not taking things too personally. Obviously, that I was at age 12. 
Um, probably like 14, 15, 16 is when wow. I started taking. Well, and also because I got the privilege at, at 15 to sign a contract and join a very popular Romanian music band. It was an all girl band. It was four of us. At the time we were the pop band in Romania. There was nobody period that was bigger than Asia was. The, the literally people that were coming to our concerts were in the tens of thousands. Now, Romania back then had 20, roughly 23 million people. California around the same time had about 33 million people. So this whole country that I come from is literally smaller than California. California. Yeah, where, you're, where you live now. So tens of thousands of people were a lot of people. But of course, with that, that is when I started getting introduced to mean comments, mean-spirited, um, backhanded compliments, people critiquing everything from the way you look to the way you talk to the way you sing to the way you walk. Um, and um, there's this survivalist nature in me. And I knew that if I allow myself to drown in those feelings of sorrow and depression that I was feeling, I would, I would drown completely. And I'm such a survivalist. Um, so I knew that these feelings equal bad. I have to make change. Where do I start? Right. What led you to becoming a pop star? You know, it's very interesting. I say that if there is one word that, or one action with one word that got me in large part to America was visualization. I didn't know I was doing it when I was very young. Um, granted, there's a part, a big part that people leave out. You can't just visualize, you actually have to work. You have to be prepared. You have to do things that, um, that get you there. But visualization for me started um, around the 12, 13 year old mark. That's for the first time when I got introduced to American television. You have to understand in under Soviet communism, the West, we were so isolated from the West, but the West itself, particularly America was demonized. It was a place of debauchery, um, of AIDS, of just greed and, and capitalism that clouded people's minds obviously that conflicts with that whole totalitarian regime right so they had to tell us that but at 13 is for the first time in my life when I got introduced to American television and I was shocked I couldn't believe that there's this happy place and and it's people look happy like just that alone forget anything else forget about wow they have a car one and one with no roof that was <laughs> the mind of a 13 year old that just went sideways right so I just in my mind in that moment I started visualizing myself in this place here where I get to live today I would just see myself in America I would also I had a passion for music it turns out I get it from my dad and so I would visualize myself being on stage with a mic and singing for people I loved music I was playing the organ and the mandolin and I was taking classes in school um, so I was just visualizing myself. I was visualizing myself in the States and I was doing the work to come here and I was visualizing myself on stage and I was doing the work from uh, singing classes to playing an instrument and dedicating myself to that craft. So when the opportunity came or was presented to me or it came into my vicinity, I was prepared. So I jumped on it 
and I That's seized amazing. it. That's amazing. How long were you in that? Was that your career? Back in Romania, yes. And going to school full time. It was roughly two years. I quit um, in August of 2002. And in September of 2002, I came to America. I essentially left the band so I can move to America. Wow. And what was your next chapter after moving to America? What was, you know, your intro to American culture to to the lifestyle? What was your next chapter like? That's a good question. Coming to America was my life's dream. Imagine, imagine having a life goal and it seems so out of reach, right? It's, I didn't have family here. I didn't have, I I didn't have acquaintances here. Um, I came by myself. So this just seemed unimaginable, right? So you have this humongous dream and then you reach it. And then you're 18 when you reach it. Yes, that that would be, you know, many would put that in the blessings category. But now you're faced with, you're essentially starting your life as an adult and you're aimless because you no longer right. have a goal. That was your sole thing in life. <laughs> right. So there was that, there was this period of, okay, what do I do with my life now? But also there was the cultural impact. We don't realize that here, but our culture here is, radically different than cultures in most places of the world. Um, Not in a good or a bad way at all, just very different. So adjusting to that was incredibly difficult. That's um, things like Romanians, we are very touchy-feely. You know, we like to grab you, grab your hand, hug you, kiss you, fix your hair. Here, nobody nobody wanted to be touched. And I was like, okay, okay, boundaries. (laughs) Right. Okay, so you have a bubble, you have a bubble. Okay, I can respect that. Now I've morphed into that myself. I still, you know me, you still, I still love to hug. But if a stranger comes at me and hops on my back, basically trying to touch my hair, I'll be like, whoa. (laughs) It's so so true. It was, it was a, it was a huge adjustment period in every sense of the word, going to the supermarket and realizing that there, first of all, it is immense. I mean, wow, this is really big. But also I remember calling my mom, telling her mom, they have a whole aisle for dogs here (laughs) in the grocery store. You could barely fill our grocery stores. So the fact that these were so full and so abundant and dogs and cats could find food here. I mean, it it was unimaginable to me. And I also remember something as basic as I gave a dog a chicken bone and the owner of the dog, no, 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 don't give that because he will choke. And I was like, oh, really? Oh my gosh, Romanian dogs, if they get any kind of bone, it is a good day. So they will somehow manage to digest it. I don't know how, I guess they do. So Little small silly examples like that, but in every sense of the word, it was it was a challenge. I had to stay very focused. I was so determined to make a life here that I needed to make these small modifications. And yes, they were tough mentally and emotionally, but there's nothing that mattered more to me at the time than making a life here. So these sacrifices, quote unquote, were necessary. And I was fine with making them. Were you bilingual before you moved? Yes. 
that's another big difference between a lot of European countries or you know many countries out there and the United States. And this is one of the unfortunate um, differences. You do, we had to learn to speak three languages. So you have, uh, <clears throat> you have Romanian, your native tongue, um, but also we are Latin people. We are Latin based. We are up there with the Italian, the Spanish, the French and the Portuguese. Romanian is the fifth romantic language. So very proud of, of our heritage. We actually, I had to take um, from sixth grade through the end of high school, Latin every week. It's a dead language. We had to learn a dead language, how to speak fluently in a dead language that nobody else speaks, except for five other countries in the world. Can you still speak? It, um, no, Latin? the only thing that I still remember is which is what Brutus said to his, uh, which, um, sorry, Julius Caesar said to Brutus, his adopted son, when he got stabbed in the back and legend has it that he's on the steps and he's falling to his death and he's saying, like even you, my son Brutus. And that's the only thing I remember. Don't ask me why. <laughs> that is what's one of those senseless things it, it, it just it's just what stuck but then uh, second grade we uh, started learning English and that was also mandatory and then starting in sixth grade you have the option to choose whatever other I guess technically fourth language if we count Latin and Romanian <laughs> sure um the, the other language that you want to learn but that is totally up to you and I chose German I chose Amazing. German well, you know, it's such a difficult language, but my biological dad, he wanted me to learn French. And I remember him telling me that his personal opinion is that there's no uglier language in the world than German. So I was like, ha, stick it to the man. I'm going to <laughs> take Strong willed from a young age. <laughs> take that. You're not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> so you, so you technically speak four languages, three and a half. If you count that. <laughs> well, and my German is extremely, extremely rusty. So I took six years, but I haven't spoken German since I moved to the States. So sprechen nicht gut. That's the extent of it. That's amazing. You mentioned earlier your dedication to education was something that was very important to you and that, you know, learning things really helped build your confidence. You recently became an esthetician. Mm. Can you speak to what prompted you, you know, going into that field and what the process of becoming an esthetician was like? Yes, I, um... I want people to understand this is on top of developing a beauty line being a very well sought after influencer, specifically in the beauty field, running a, a company, multiple companies. I mean, it's oh, not like you were like, I think I'm going to have, it, you know, it's not like you were like, I think that I want to become an esthetician. This was on top of five plus major five. things that you were doing with your career and with your life. So please, please share. Yes. Um, it just, it's, it boils down to this curiosity and this is actually one of the things that I've realized it's, it's something not, and I'm not, trust me when I say that I am not putting myself on the same stepping stone with some of the biggest entrepreneurs and successful people in the world. But what I'm trying to say is that I've noticed a reoccurring theme. It's, um, it's curiosity with, um, with everybody that has ever sought out, sought out success. It's this incredible thirst 
for knowledge and curiosity. It's what my husband refers to as this hackable mindset. Uh, coming, stemming from the hackers that were originally pulling apart computers, telephones, radios, and microwaves to try to understand how does this work. And so this um, curiosity that I've had um, was toward skincare and skin in general. My skin was perfectly fine until I turned 22. When I turned 22, it's like a boop. A switch went off and all of a sudden a shit ton of breakouts and acne and my skin just took a complete turn. It started hating me. I don't know what I ever did to it. And it became a problem because to be an adult, to go on dates, to go to job interviews or to network, to be on TV and you're just full of acne. It was everywhere. I, I've openly shared this on Instagram so people don't think I'm making it up. I don't have a lot of pictures from those times because one of you're so self-conscious that you don't typically tend to take a lot of pictures. It's only in recent years that we've made this a little more common and we understand it better and we're not ashamed of it. But again, I was 22. I'm 37 now. So 15 years ago, you were embarrassed. <clears throat> it was quote unquote a problem. So I really wanted to understand my own skin. I really wanted to understand why is it doing this? How can I treat this? I saw doctor after doctor, esthetician after esthetician. And I felt like I, if, if anybody's going to help me really, it's going to be me. Again, I can't depend on, on all these people to fix my problem for me. I have to educate myself. And sure, I will never have the level of knowledge and understanding of skin and experience that a dermatologist has, but I just, my upbringing taught me to never rely on somebody. Even if it's in a field, let's say, I don't know, neuroscience, I know nothing about it. If a doctor was to tell me something, I still wouldn't take that doctor for face value. I would get a second opinion and a third and a fourth. And then I'll get myself a neuroscience book, try to understand the basics, try to go down the rabbit hole and figure it out myself. I can't, I'm not going to cure anything, you know, and I probably won't go very, very far, but it's this self-dependency that is critical to me. So skin became an obsession. Then I started paying attention to the products that I'm using, what kind of ingredients. Um, usually when you hear people say that, they allude to natural or organic or bad chemicals. And I want, if, if anybody here is going to take anything out of this podcast is literally this one, everything is a chemical. We are made of chemicals. The water that I'm drinking right now is chemicals. So when people are telling you chemical free or that, that is literally brainwashing. They're trying to lie to you to sell you their products. So that's number one. Number two, the organic and the natural markets are highly unregulated. Um, arsenic is natural. I wouldn't want to put that on my, on my face at all. There are many, many, many natural ingredients that are actually very sensitizing to the skin, not good for the skin. So just because natural and organic sound better, it doesn't mean that they are always better. So petroleum is I, natural. <laughs> the one? That's a petroleum is natural, for example. You know, <laughs> it, you know, so there are a lot of natural things that are not. Anyway, so um, to me, it was just a matter of like, wait a minute, we're saying silicones are bad. Why? And then I understood, no, no, silicones that are FDA approved for use of skincare in skincare and makeup are actually not bad. They're actually quite hydrating. Your skin does breathe. Oh my God, what is happening? So I, I, I was just, I went down this rabbit hole of, wait a minute, 
as much as I love this beauty industry, it seems very misleading, not awfully transparent. So on this quest of trying to understand my own skin, and now I felt like I was taking on a battle, um, a new, whole new battle altogether, I wanted to become even more educated. I have a shelf full, as I'm looking at it right now, of chemistry books on skincare, chemistry books on ingredients. I'm obsessed with this. But... I wanted to explore even more. I knew I couldn't dedicate the years to go to med school every day or become a dermatologist. So um, esthetician it was. And I'm like, oh, you know, they are very knowledgeable. So I'm, I started taking night classes. I was basically waking up five o'clock in the morning. I would begin working six to six thirty. And I would end uh, work around 4, 4.15 in the afternoon. And then I would go to school. And from 5 till 10 o'clock at night, I would be in school. I would get back home around 10.30, rinse and repeat um, every week. And then, um, yeah, and then I became uh, licensed. I passed my exam and here I am today. Oh, my goodness. So what was the, congratulations, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, what was the bridge from pop star to esthetician, what what was your occupational journey after coming to the States? How did you get to the point? Obviously, you know, age 22, your skin started, you know, behaving differently. That's when your passion for skincare started. But what was your occupational journey between coming to the States and then getting your esthetician license? That is such a good question. Like if we have an hour from now, I think we'll get to the answer. So I'll try to make it so brief. So I'll just be militaristic in the approach to try because there is there's so much that happened. So I left the band to come to America. I come to America. Who gives a shit who Alexandra Pretoria is, right? Like in the media used to call me Britney Spears of Romania in Romania. Now, like, who the hell are you? Like, nobody cares. So I um, I got hired at um, a mortgage company and I was a receptionist. And I did that for a couple of months. And then I taught myself how to use PowerPoint, Microsoft Word, Excel, et cetera. And I feel like, oh, okay, now I can do something more than answer phones and sign for packages, I'm ready. So um, my English was relatively good back then as well. And um, I became a telemarketer and um, I hated my life. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, people call you even though they're spam and they're annoying their job. It is to get so much rejection 24 seven is a very difficult job. So naturally I hated it, but I needed to get my feet wet. I need to understand all sides of the business. So I did that for a few, uh, for a few months. And then I wanted to continue growing. So in the same office environment, I became a junior processor and um, I was getting taught the ways of loan processing. And then I got my first file and it turns out I was really good at it because you have to be extremely organized. And by trade, I'm just a meticulously organized Virgo. I index my life and color code it. And (laughs) my calendar. It's just, it's just who I am, right? I live in my skincare is like super organized and in order of how I'm going to use it. (laughs) All my China is facing this way. All my spices, the label is facing forward. It's slightly. This is why we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's got a little psychopathy in it for some reason, (laughs) you know, but it's how I function. (laughs) One could argue, but I mean, you know, what do we know? Um, 
So um, it turns out I was excelling at it. So I became a senior loan processor and I did that for many, many years and I became a processing manager. And then I wanted to see what the loan officer side is like. So I became a loan officer for several months. Um, I didn't like it. It wasn't my jam. And then I started working for a bank and I was an account executive there. And um and then uh, the mortgage, uh, just real estate kind of um, market crashed. And suddenly I find myself in 2008 with no college degree. English is my second language. And the only work experience I have in the United States with my green card, I'm not a citizen yet, and my green card is in the most demonized industry vertical at the time. So that was a little bit challenging um and what made things more difficult is that i still had my whole family back in romania my mom was now retired she was depending on me financially so i'm faced with not just trying to make my own path and pay for my own bills but also for hers and my my biological father's medications and those are not cheap anywhere really so that um, year was a very difficult year. I tried so many things under the sun. I um, got licensed in life and health insurance. I was going to school <clears throat> at night while I was working restaurant during the day to try to pay my bills. So I was working restaurant during the day and going to school at night to become licensed in life and health. I thought maybe that's where the money is. I was essentially trying to chase the money. What is going to make me money? Um, <clears throat> but I hated it. It was really not for me. So all those months were wasted, but I gained a lot of knowledge. So it's, you know, nothing is truly wasted. Um, I was a recruiter. I worked in uh, life and health insurance. Um, I worked in Medicare as, um, as a quality auditor for customer service. I've had quite, I, I, I mentioned that I was, a, uh, I worked in restaurant, I was a sitting hostess. I also had a nighttime uh, bartending job in Long Beach. So um, it, it was, it was this process that took several years to try to figure out, first of all, what do I even like? By default, I started in the mortgage industry because it was an easy end and I could make money and I was a hustler and I was working really hard. And everybody that I knew that was in the Romanian community was in this industry vertical. So it was easy. Once that crumbled and my biggest dream in life of coming to America has already been accomplished, I'm really aimless. So that's what I was trying to do, kind of trying to throw shit against the wall and see what sticks. But um, in 2010, I started a social media marketing business. And um, people told me I was crazy. I mean, Twitter handles weren't on TV like we see them now, right? Or Instagram handles, TikToks. <clears throat> at, that, at, that, at that point, what, was, what did social media look like? Just to kind of give reference. Wild, wild west. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. We were trying to figure it out. Um, and, but it was challenging and I loved it. And as a naturally curious person, I was very excited to see how can I help other brands market themselves on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Those were the avenues back then. Everybody told me I was crazy. Nobody's going to pay me to like make posts for them and create campaigns on Facebook. Turns out it was a goldmine. And that business developed to where I started working with 
Mark Wahlberg and PDD, they had a company called Aquahydrate. I think they still do. And I, I launched their social media marketing efforts, some reality TV show people. It really took a life of its own. And in the process over the years, as it wasn't as challenging anymore for me, I wanted a creative outlet that was more, even more meaningful. And that's when I started creating my own content online and people were responding incredibly well to it. Um, YouTube was all about personal development, career, money, resilience, while Instagram was very beauty focused, um, skincare, makeup. So I became a makeup junkie. I always loved makeup. And back when I was in the band, I was learning makeup tricks from the makeup artists at the time. And I became obsessed between my own journey with skin, but also it was my job now, you know, it was my job to test products, my job to give reviews. And I take that very seriously. I didn't want to be just an influencer that happens to be very curious and surrounds herself with chemists and other people that are very knowledgeable. I actually wanted to be, um, have some authority voice. In, in the space, sure. Mm -hmm. So when you launched your social media marketing company, was it just you or did you have a team? It was just me. Just you. It was, it was just me uh, doing all the conceptualizing and, and the execution of every campaign that we had, um, all the reporting, all that jazz. It was just me. And so just, after this, yeah. was the, your social media company where you met your husband? Because I know that you met your husband during your occupational journey. Yes. Is that, is, is that when you met, when you met him? No, um, he was actually the one that suggested I do that because I loved all aspects of social media. So he said, hey, why don't you translate into a business? But no, um, one of my really, really good friends um, had this business idea and it was all about um, women's uh, self-empowerment and self-development. And she approached me wanting to know if I would like to be her business partner. And I said, yes. So we went into business together. And one day she put an ad on Craigslist this was 2009. It's like the hinge of the times, but not in the personals <laughs> section, but um, just as a company looking for website development. And um, one of my husband's um, employees found our ad. And uh, next thing I know, we're in their office and we end up going with them for the website um, of our company. And then after the project was done is when he asked me out. So uh, it is your work, right? Yeah. Amazing. And through all of your careers, I know that you've been such an organized and pragmatic person. And I want to transition into speaking about your podcast, because that is what you really celebrate. And that's the muscle that you're flexing for your listeners, which is so incredible. Um, and you mentioned earlier that as a Virgo, you're very, very organized. But when did you start developing that sense of yourself and that muscle? And how has that carried through your life? That is a really good question. I refer to self, I refer to organization. I refer to things like willpower. They are all muscles. We are not born with willpower, actually. I mean, we have this um, instinct of survival, but um, willpower, get being organized. Um, this is a muscle that you have to work out all the time. I am very success driven. I think that because I never wanted to be poor again, um, I, and I had this drive, with this drive, 
these other elements came about because in order to be successful, you have to know what the hell you're talking about. So now you have to start learning in order to be successful. You have to be on time. If you say you're going to do something, you have to follow through. Um, so now you have to develop those muscles. If you want to be successful, you have to push through the days when you don't feel like doing shit. You have to push through that. So you have to develop your willpower. This need, this desire pushes you um, to do these things. When I hear somebody telling me that, um, oh, this is my passion, but you know, I don't have the drive to do this or that, then to me, that's not your passion. That is a false flag. You know, that is a, 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 a mirage. You think it's your passion or maybe you would like for it to be your passion, but it may be a want for all the wrong reasons. Because when you truly want something, it doesn't matter what you're going through. You're going to push yourself. You're going to learn things. You're going to have that hackable mentality. You're going to just teach yourself all these things. So because I wanted to make something of myself, I literally had to teach myself these things. And it started with as basic as um, setting alerts throughout the day to do something, um, check this or do that or try this. And the more you do something, it, the more it becomes a habit. And the more you work on that habit, the more it becomes instinctive. You know, is it the word instinctive? Sorry, I, you have to remember English is still my second language. Is it instinctual or instinctive? Instinctual, I think. Instinct. Okay. It becomes an, like an instinct, second nature. Yes. You know? So that is, that is how I get those things. Like I'm organized. Yes. Because I know that a house to me, at least anyway, in my opinion, a house looks good when it's organized. Work is more efficient and productive when it is organized. Um, relationships run more smoothly when they're better organized. Nobody says to be psychotic, even though sometimes they go there, but you know, it's a, it's a good balance in order to become talented and creative. I had to stay very focused and organized. So it's one part nature and one part nurture. It's one part. This is who you are innately. You crave being organized, but it's also honing in on that skill set over time. And, and exactly. flexing that muscle. Well, and that is why I wanted to call my podcast Backbone, not Wishbone. I encourage wishing. I encourage visualization. That is, I, as I mentioned, a big chunk of why I am here. But it takes spine. It takes backbone. You can't just wish yourself to be happy. You have to proactively work at being happy. And that means working on yourself, on yourself, on your self-confidence. That means part of it is what I mentioned earlier, getting educated in different things and kind of getting that, you know, flexing that muscle, as you're saying, you know, and, and feeling like, ooh, I'm, I'm hot shit because I know this or, ooh, I'm, so it, it's all part of the process. You need spine. You need backbone. That's just you what it is. Need, you also need to make, you also need to be decisive. For me, it's let me make, I just, I am choosing to be happy. What right. do I need to do to get there? I am choosing to be successful. What do I do, need to do to get there? And how can I learn along the way? you know, and right. try and spend less time on being hard on myself for when things don't go wrong and going, okay, cool. Let's, let's look at this observationally. Let's learn from it. And let's use that energy rather than harping on it or right. thinking too much on it. Let's use that energy to propel myself forward. I exactly. think it's a lot about making the choice to do something or to be somewhere, no matter how long it takes you to get there. Right. And I mean, look at me, seriously, 
look, look at me. Like I was born in a poor area in Bucharest, Romania, under communism, with no dad, no siblings, a working mom that is six. She's hardly ever present, not by choice, but that was just the reality. And how does this person go from that? This was the hand that I was dealt. You know, how do you go from that to being the CEO of my own company that I founded to have the life that I do to my husband and I, we have over a hundred employees. How did we do that? He came from nothing as well. How is that possible? If that is not possible, what is? You're a walking statistical contradiction in the very best way. (laughs) Right. You know, it's, we can, we can always, always complain and, and feel sorry about where we come from, what has happened to us. There's, there's tragedy happening every day to so many people, you know, we all suffer to some degree, you know, we're all in this together. My point is it, it, you have to wipe that slate clean at some point. Who did what to you? What has happened to you? Where you come from? What you did not have the roadblocks that were thrown your way. It, It has to be, there has to be a point where you look at it and say, so what? You know what I mean? Doesn't doesn't determine my future. So what? Like, so have other, many other people. Boo-hoo, you know? And that's what I chose for myself. I'm not going to boo-hoo here. And the reality is that truly, in my opinion, quite anything is possible. Because if I can be here in this country today and do what I do, truly, a lot is possible. Sometimes having a chip on your shoulder is useful mm. rather than, you know, it's, it's all per- perspective, right? If you do have a chip on your shoulder, you could say, oh, woe is me. This has happened to me. Or you can say, hey, this is what I have. This is my stuff. And this is how I'm going to leverage it to get somewhere else. Right. And I, I think very highly of myself. As and you should. That, and that, <laughs> that came also with practice because, again, you have to remember, I didn't have the confidence and part of that process was to start thinking like I am the shit, not in a, in a way that is demeaning toward others or disrespectful, but just me when I'm alone with myself and I look at myself and instead of choosing to be like, nobody showed up in my, nobody did this, nobody loves me. I look at myself, I'm like, I'm the fucking shit, man. Just, just you wait, y'all wait. I got it coming. It's handled. Don't worry about it. Even if I had none of those things. That I, it's just repetition. You know, you say something to yourself over, it's part of the human psyche. If you hear something over and over and over again, you're going to start believing it. Um, if it's you saying it to yourself or it's somebody saying it to you, you inevitably start believing it. You ultimately get sold or whatever those goods are. What, I, what I'm learning from you and what I can constantly learn from you is, you know, the quality of human that you are. And we hear oftentimes, especially in the entrepreneurial space, I think it's like, you know, behave and treat other people as if, you know, tomorrow you have nothing. Like Mm. if you didn't have all of the accoutrement around you, how would, 
how would you value your life? You know, how would you value the work that you're putting into this world? And I think it's interesting for you because you have been in a position where you've lost everything oh, yeah. and had to build yourself up in your adult world and right. your adult life. So that's just, it's so inspirational. And, and the fact that even if you did, God forbid, lose everything again, you would still have that confidence. And that right. does come from- And it doesn't scare me. Right. 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 It doesn't scare me. There's nothing to be fearful of. Things like money, that's fluid. Money comes and goes. We spend so much time so scared about money. It's like, no, let's let's focus on all the possibilities. Like, how do we hack our own lives? Right. How do we how do we go around this code? How do we make something of ourselves? And and don't worry, everything will be fine. And when it's not, it will be again. How do you how do you stay? hungry. And I know that you're innately curious, but how do you continue to challenge yourself and to continue developing your day-to-day habits and practices to keep yourself motivated and, and hungry for, for further success, whatever that means to you? Also a very good question. I would say um, sticking to a routine, having um, the day very regimented is what helps keep me on track because uh, because I am this curious, that backfires because that means I can get I can get very easily distracted. I'm like squirrels, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me is having a very solid morning routine that is predominantly self-care. And when I, like every Sunday, I make my to-do list for the week. And then I take all of those tasks and, and uh, basically put them in whatever various days of the week. However, I spread them out. Every task has a time frame. So right now I know that we have one hour. So this task on my calendar today, is like an hour and 15 minutes. That's what it has. Um, I, I, regimen when I eat my lunch. Um, I try to batch tasks, things like that. Um, even my, um, if I'm going to get my nails done or whatnot, it's all part of a calendar. If I'm going out on a date with my husband, it's part of the calendar. It doesn't sound sexy, but it is what works when you're busy, when you kind of keep having things in the fire and keeping your hands busy, it's kind of hard to get lazy. If I didn't have anything going on, then yes, I would be binge watching uh, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City like my life depended on it. You know what I mean? But I don't. I don't allow myself to have too much time that is just vegging out because I can have fun with you and uh, when we would go to the beach and all that. But that's also part of the schedule. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's interesting because during, you know, the initial onset of COVID and lockdowns and such, you know, I think the the narrative was, you know, what show are you binge watching? And I'm like, binge watching? Are you kidding? Like, I'm so busy. I'm the busiest that I've ever been. Like, I, you know, for me, it's when I do have time that opens up, I'm like, great, all these things on my other list that I've been wanting to do, that can fill, you know, the time that opens up and and continue to you know, time block and, and fill the calendar with things that are purposeful. And, but, you know, I always tell you too, that I don't feel like you're relaxing quite enough. See, I'm putting on my calendar veg, veg time. That's like actually something weekend. that I wanted to ask you. So you, you time block your working schedule, but then what does your my self-care personal life? Yes. Your personal life, you time block that as well. Absolutely. So what, is that, what does that look like? What does that schedule? For example, like? um, reading time. I want to read 20 pages a day. That is my goal. That is on my schedule. 
That is on my schedule. When I see what's next, okay, reading 20 pages, okay. Um, my, um, my getting my hair done, getting my nails done. Those are things that I, I used to ignore. I no longer ignore. I pamper myself with that. If that's, if that's what makes me happy, I'm going to do it. That is on my schedule. Saturday and Sunday, I have two to three hours on each day veg time it's literally i have a vegetable um emoji <laughs> on my calendar <laughs> i love it and it's called my veg time this is where nothing else exists i can watch trash television um i can read like tabloids i can do whatever alex wants i don't know have a cocktail in the middle of the afternoon whatever that looks like that is my veg time being my pjs yes but it's all again it is all very regimented it's not sexy but it's what i have found keeps me very on point with everything i love that you work with your husband how do you manage both working with your husband and then also carving out time to be together and not work is respecting each other's titles for one mm-hmm. in our in our in Vrea cosmetics my makeup company i'm the ceo of the company in our other like our two logistics businesses he's the ceo of the company of the companies we respect each other's authority when i make a decision for my company for Vrea, let's say if he will ask a question well wait what about this and um, and i say yeah no I, i'm still going to stick with with what i want to do he respects that that is, I'm the CEO of that company. And I do the same thing where with the companies that he heads. I may not agree. I vocalize my opinion, but I respect his decision because that, he's the CEO, not me. So even though we're husband and wife, and we are 50-50 in everything, and what's his is mine and what's mine is mine. Um, I still... <laughs> I'm kidding, everyone. The best, the best. But relax, we, relax. relax. <laughs> but we respect each other's authority. That is very important. I think that a lot of people lose lose sight of that, and they think, "Oh, he's my husband, so I can talk to him however I want." I'm not. He's my CEO in those companies, and I'm his CEO in this other company. And we um, we prioritize even on my calendar. I have a date night, and I put it on his calendar as well. So again, very calendar, very organized. Um, and um, we make time for each other. We make sure to watch like funny videos every single night together. We do have a TV in our bed. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but it's our it's our time together. You know, we take a shower at night, we get in bed, we cuddle, and we watch like twenty minutes of bloopers on TV, and then we fall asleep. Um, so that's kind of how it, it works seamlessly. And there are nights when he wants to talk business, and I say I don't or the opposite, respect that. I love that. I can't believe we're almost out of time. I know that you and I could talk for hours and hours and hours, um, but I want to know how can we support you and where can we find you? Because you have so many amazing companies and resources, and I would love to celebrate those of you. Oh, thank you so much. If I had to put a priority order again, see, there you go, organized. Um, <laughs> staying on point, I would say I'm really trying to help as many people as possible right now through these various methods that I employ in my own lives. So the podcast, I would say, would be priority one for me. It's called Backbone one word, not wishbone, one word. Um, So backbone, not wishbone, it's everywhere where you can listen to podcasts. I really want to use my voice to 
kind of raise this awareness for as many people as possible. Then also, if you do like uh, beauty cosmetics, Vrea, V-R-E-A cosmetics, and we're at, at Vrea Cosmetics on Instagram, it's like nothing you've ever tried before. I really encourage anybody and everybody to check it out. And then my own personal profile at Alexandra Potora, you know, when we do fun stuff like fashion and I'm wearing your jewelry today. It looks spectacular. You. It looks spectacular on you. I'm so glad you love it. I will. You know, I've been supporting since, uh, since I, you know, first bought it. <laughs> since before we were pals. Mm-hmm. Well, I adore you. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. You are just such a wealth of knowledge and inspiration and just such a beautiful person inside and out. It has been such a privilege to support you as a friend, but also as, you know, a customer. Um, and you're just the best. I adore you. You know, the feeling is mutual and I hope everybody knows that's listening, how truly exceptional you are. So, and you know, I don't throw around compliments. I actually tend to be pretty hard. So, you know, if I say that, believe me, I really mean it. So I received that fully. That is the highest of compliments. And if you guys follow, um, Alexandra on social media, you will know that she is a straight shooter. So that is the highest of compliments. And I feel the exact same way. I love you. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. Wow, you guys, what an incredible interview. I hope you brought your notepads because Alexandra was dropping all the jewels on the show. A special thank you again to the one and only Alexandra Potora for coming on the show. Another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and our producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please be sure to leave a review so we can continue bringing you the content and the people that you love. And lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me as always at Marin Costello and Marin Costello Radio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everyone, and we will see you next week on Marin Costello Radio.